Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com While the world watched the inauguration of President Joe Biden, conspiracy theorists, followers of the QAnon phenomenon, waited in anticipation. This was supposed to be their moment of vindication. What they called the Great Awakening. When Satan-worshipping Democrats who trafficked children in Wayfair boxes would be arrested by President Trump and Q, or at least members of the military directed by Q. But that moment never came. And now, the QAnon message boards are in meltdown. There is no plan, posted one commenter. It's over and nothing makes sense, wrote another. Q was a LARP the entire effing time, complained one, while a poster on a QAnon Telegram channel said, it simply doesn't make sense that we all got played. What next for the followers of QAnon? Will the conspiracy evolve again? Or is this the end of the delusion? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the future of QAnon. So for the inauguration, knowing what they were anticipating, I camped out in a QAnon chat room. That's Jared Holt. I monitor extremism and particularly extremism's threat to democracy and social stability. He's talking to us from Washington, D.C., where he's a visiting research fellow at the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab. I I would say sort of the first big blow was Kamala Harris being sworn in as vice president. Ladies and gentlemen, the Vice President-elect of the United States, Kamala Debbie Harris and Mr. Douglas Imhoff. 
And then the second blow, you know, once Joe Biden took the oath of office. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. Noon came and went. Congratulations, Mr. President. That's when things really started to sour. They were saying things like, well, I'm the official laughing stock in my family now. Awesome. Or, you know, here come all the excuses now. Or, oh my God, none of this was real. It was almost a sense of disbelief. There was this questioning of, you know, whether they had been following a lie the whole time. So before January 6th, people who believe in QAnon thought that was the day that Trump was going to unleash the storm, which is their term for mass arrest of all the people that they think commit these heinous crimes. And when January 6th came and passed and that didn't happen, the next date they looked to was Inauguration Day. There was a lot of speculation about all of the National Guard troops and additional security measures that were in place for the inauguration. To regular observers, the extra security around the ceremony was a response to the riots on January the 6th. But nothing is quite so simple in the world of QAnon. They thought that those were in place to keep politicians in, to keep them from escaping, as Trump and the military worked to arrest in massive waves Democrats that they believe are involved in a global, nefarious, satanic pedophile organization. But that obviously didn't happen. I remember first coming across QAnon on 4chan. 4chan is a anonymous image board. Anybody can go on the website and post anything. They don't have to sign up for an account. They don't have to enter their name. It is just this sort of like nervous center for the broader internet. At the core of that nervous center is a bunch of really extreme content. On this particular day, as Jared scrolled through 4chan, a story about Hillary Clinton was causing a stir. Somebody had shown up and claimed that Hillary Clinton was about to be arrested and claimed to have insider knowledge or some connection to the Trump administration. And the community was trying to figure out what to make of it. How did the name QAnon first come up? So Q was kind of like projected onto the individual or individuals possibly that were posting this supposed insider knowledge. Q is a level of security clearance in the United States. Ironically, Q-level clearance is not the kind of clearance that somebody would need to obtain insider information on, you know, the imminent arrest of Hillary Clinton or something. But rumors about the impending arrest of figures like Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama and other senior Democrats has been a long-running theme of conspiracy theories in America. These prosecutions were just always around the corner always just about to happen. What was your own reaction? My initial reaction was, you know, what a load of shit. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I just like, you know, it it just seemed so obviously fake to me that I was surprised to see even, you know, anybody fall for that. It, It was so laughable. It was predicting with a hard date an arrest of a major political figure, which of course did not happen. And despite the fact that the first thing out of the gate that 
Q supposedly prophesized was just immediately proven false in the days after, it continued to grow. What began as a 4chan post very rapidly grew into a movement. QAnon attracted a large and loyal following as it became part of an online ecosystem amplifying conspiracy theories. And from there, these you know, random posts on anonymous image boards were able to reach a larger audience. Today, QAnon exists as a global phenomenon. I would feel pretty safe saying that at a bare minimum, hundreds of thousands of people across the world believe in QAnon sincerely, and it's probably millions that believe it to varying degrees. According to experts, there's no particular type of person who's attracted to QAnon or more susceptible to believing conspiracy theories, but there are frequently recurring patterns. People who are confused or people who are struggling in different situations with their life can be attracted to QAnon. One anecdote I can share, for example, is a woman that I spoke to who had a son who had a terminal illness, had cancer. And she was brought to QAnon because different QAnon media figures and influencers online had suggested that a cure for cancer existed and that, you know, as part of the broader Q plan, Trump was going to release the cure for cancer. During the pandemic, particularly, we saw QAnon spread at a pretty alarming rate. You had professional fighters sharing this. You had mommy bloggers sharing this. Mommy bloggers, that's so unlikely. Right. And you had all these different subcultures online starting to at least like kind of engage with these ideas. I would want to caution listeners that there's not like a concrete profile of a QAnon believer. The honest truth is that a lot of people who are intelligent, thoughtful people, upper class backgrounds, lower class backgrounds, end up falling for this stuff. They go online, they encounter this information, and very quickly find themselves in the middle of a information environment that is constantly reinforcing itself and constantly discouraging any sort of outside information. Once they encounter this kind of stuff, can very quickly get sucked in and radicalized towards it. If you are a QAnon supporter now, what's your belief system? In its modern day, QAnon has a bunch of different offshoots. There's the people that follow QAnon with a deep sort of religious background that's brought into it. There's the people that follow it as an entertainment source. There's people that follow it because they are obsessed with 5G internet technology or vaccines. There's so many different offshoots of QAnon at this point, but the single uniting factor that brings them all together is the belief that there exists a secretive network of nefarious political figures, business influencers, media figures that are collaborating on this greater project to stoke the downfall of Western civilization. And that along the way, they are participating in heinous acts, including child torture or sexual satanic rituals. So they believe politics is underpinned by shadowy figures who are involved in child torture and sexual satanic rituals. I mean, 
That's a lot to take in, if this is the first time you're meeting such an extraordinary idea. There are as many interpretations of what to make of different QAnon claims. Some of the more popular ones include something called Frazzle Drip, which alleges that a video exists of Hillary Clinton and one of her top aides eating the face off of a child. You oh. Know, the, yeah, it's <laughs> totally normal stuff here. But, you know, other theories, particularly after the arrest and later apparent suicide of Jeffrey Epstein, have included claims that different videos or images exist of top Democratic politicians engaged in sexual encounters with minors. A, a lot of it hinges on this supposed existence of damning material that would prove that some of the nation's top Democratic Party leaders have been engaged in pedophilia, but it's been years now, and none of those videos have been produced, presumably because they don't exist. What's Donald Trump's role in all of this? Where does he exist in the QAnon universe? He exists in the QAnon universe as Q+. They think of him as the almost like Messiah figure. So much of the QAnon belief system revolves around this idea that Donald Trump is waging a secretive and covert war against all of this evil they believe exists in the top levels of uh, government, business, and media, and that they just need to keep supporting him. I, I mean, to this day, right, people who believe in QAnon are still largely committed to the idea that Donald Trump may at the last second declare martial law and arrest Joe Biden, arrest Kamala Harris. Trump's role in QAnon is that of the main character. He is the protagonist figure that animates the rest of the conspiracy theory. QAnon is a failed prophecy, and eventually at some point or another, the people who believe in QAnon are going to be confronted with the fact that it didn't come true. Some people, I assume, will continue to believe it, maybe even to their graves, right? But for a lot of people, you know, they're trying to come to terms and trying to understand that this thing that they've committed so much of their life to that has hampered relationships with friends and family has led them down this wild goose chase of different strange online communities was all based on lies, I think, you know, could motivate people to feel like they need to act out or that, you know, if Trump actually isn't in control or if Trump is facing difficulties, they need to be the ones to step up and, you know, try to help him in some way. All of that is to say, I wasn't terribly surprised to see QAnon supporters joined in on the attack on the U.S. Capitol. I would have been surprised if they weren't there, to be honest. As you were watching the riots unfolding on television, you know how much of that was stuff that you could have predicted? I, I guess I was operating under some assumptions that the Capitol would have been more secured or that law enforcement would have been more prepared to handle that crowd. Storming the Capitol specifically was something that was discussed in extremist communities online. But I was still shocked to see that they actually pulled it off. Online, in the days leading up to this event, it was very clear that 
the crowd that was going to show up in Washington was seeking very strongly violence of some kind. Q non-believers have tended to be pretty forthcoming about their belief in Q. Uh, a very fundamental part of the ideology is sort of an evangelical-like approach. They call themselves digital warriors, that it's part of their responsibility of somebody who follows Q to try to bring additional people into the fold or to spread the information that's coming out of the movement to broader audiences. This is not uh, a bunch of individuals that are particularly shy about what they think. Despite these fears and the heightened security operation around it, the inauguration and the democratic transfer of power ran without a hitch. But why was it this moment, the inauguration, that caused the QAnon universe to crumble? The QAnon movement has been incredibly adept at letting any sort of contradictory evidence roll off its back. You know, different dates where the, the storm was supposed to happen have come and gone. But the timeline was always extended. The QAnon mantra is trust the plan. You know, the basis of it being that, you know, sometimes things have to happen, but ultimately that Trump was working on this greater project in secret and that all they had to do was buckle up and wait and be ready for that plan to come to fruition. But I think the inauguration was different because once Joe Biden assumed the role of president of the United States, Trump was out of time. And in the days since the inauguration, there's been a core of QAnon supporters who have again rationalized this away. But that moment for a lot of QAnon supporters was probably, in all my years covering the QAnon movement, probably the biggest shock to the system that I've ever witnessed. In fact, even one of QAnon's most influential voices decided to abandon the calls. So shortly after the inauguration, Ron Watkins, who was involved with the Eight Coon Forum Board, where a lot of the QAnon community would go for source material to back up their beliefs, he put out a remark urging people to move on with their lives, try to do something more productive. And that was really significant coming from him because Ron Watkins is one of the figures in the QAnon cinematic universe, if you will, that is treated as a absolute arbiter of truth. So for that message to be coming from him, I think potentially has the effect of further opening the eyes of people who have been misled by QAnon. So what next for QAnon supporters? We'll have more in just a moment. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. 
Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. All episodes of Queenie premiere June 7th, streaming on Hulu. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For the last few years, QAnon has provided Donald Trump with some of his most loyal, dogmatic supporters. At the crux of the theory is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic cult of pedophiles and cannibals. Does that sound like something you are behind? Or well, I haven't, I haven't heard that, but uh, is that supposed to be a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, you know, if, uh, if I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to put myself out there. And we are actually. We're saving the world from a radical left philosophy that will destroy this country. And when this country is gone, the rest of the world would follow. That was Donald Trump's non-denial when he was quizzed about his connection to QAnon in the run-up to the election. QAnon, for better or for worse, and I would argue probably worse, (laughs) has really carved out its own small fringe within the broader GOP voter base. We saw during the last election cycle in 2020, dozens of candidates to varying degrees trying to appeal or at least acknowledge QAnon, uh, likely in a bid to try to earn some support. We now have two members elected to Congress in the United States that have a history of spreading and endorsing QAnon conspiracy theories at GOP events. People who believe in Q and believe so passionately enough to wear clothing with big Qs on it or to bring flags or signs amplifying different parts of the conspiracy theory have been kind of a constant presence buzzing at these different events. I want to be clear, QAnon, is, it is a fringe theory, even in the broader GOP, but the fringe is incredibly organized online, and the fringe is extremely loud in their beliefs, so they end up taking up a lot of oxygen. Conspiracy theories have a long heritage. Theories about the moon landings, or the secret power base of the Illuminati, for example, have endured for many years. So why did QAnon feel so different? Why did it pose a more alarming threat? I tend to believe that most people who believe in QAnon have a extremely low risk of committing some sort of act of violence. But even if it is one in 100,000 people that believe in QAnon that has a tendency like that, 
if the conspiracy theory continues to spread and more and more people are brought into the fold, that one in a hundred thousand, you know, quickly becomes maybe, you know, a hundred people that might have these tendencies. It remains to be seen, but I think there's a certain risk just in the conspiracy theory in general, because if people sincerely believe what different QAnon influencers are telling them about democracy being compromised, about this global cabal committing these evil and heinous acts, and it appears that that conspiracy has overtaken Trump, there's always a risk that some people who very deeply believe in QAnon may feel like they personally need to act. Despite the shock of the inauguration and none of the prophecies of Q ever proving right, some hardline belief in QAnon is still likely to persist. Yeah, because there's almost like a religious conviction to this idea with some of the most dedicated followers. In the same way that it's incredibly difficult to convince somebody with sincerely held religious beliefs that their beliefs are false, it's kind of the same situation with QAnon belief, where it doesn't matter what you show them, it doesn't matter what you say to them, you're very unlikely to ever persuade them that what they believe isn't true. Getting away from the movement has to come from like a personal starting point. From President Joe Biden, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about bringing the, the country together again, about unifying the American public. Is that possible whilst something like QAnon continues to proliferate? You know, in the United States, between QAnon and the rest of Trump supporters, conspiracy theorists, extremists, there's millions of people that don't believe that the election that happened in 2020 was legitimate. They think that there has been some sort of secretive, you know, shadowy force that has overthrown the government and installed Joe Biden as president. And mending the nation and trying to bridge some of the divides that's led to America as it exists now, which is incredibly polarized and, you know, has people see each other as adversaries instead of fellow citizens. I think that's going to be a huge challenge for Biden. And I think that that process of trying to mend the country is going to have to be a long-term project. With the people who are still believers in QAnon, you know, is there any way of de-radicalizing them almost? You know, a lot of the things that they predicted would happen haven't happened, and yet they continue believing in the fundamentals. How do you have that conversation? The de-radicalization question hasn't been perfectly answered so far. The main thing I will say is that you will never convince them on the evidence, so don't even try. You might even harden their own beliefs in the process. No debunking article, no news report is ever going to convince them. They might even think you're part of the shadowy cabal or, or that you're brainwashed. The way that I've seen it discussed in, in places where it's been effective is kind of identifying, more broadly speaking, the role that a conspiracy theory like QAnon is playing in their lives. Is it giving them hope? Is it that they're plugged into an online community where they feel accepted? Is it that there is a specific thing that they're worried about that this is relieving anxiety for? And 
trying to interject in that different sort of emotional or spiritual need with something that is a little bit more healthy. I don't know that there's been a ton of people who have de-radicalized. They're more frequently what we've seen as people who follow QAnon and then there's some major triggering event that makes them realize that it's a baseless conspiracy theory or like a claim of QAnon just goes too far and they can't follow it. So they kind of, on a personal level, detach themselves from it. Behind every person posting online who believes in Q, there is an individual with a family, a community, a job. It it can be really tempting to look at them experiencing a failed prophecy and to laugh at them. But, you know, at the end of the day, any sort of lasting solution to this, I think we're going to have to try to get those individuals readjusted to society. And I think it's going to be a huge task in front of us, but I think it's, it's necessary. I think we need to show those people compassion in this moment right now because they're feeling very vulnerable. QAnon began as a post on a message board, but grew online to gain global cult-like status. And looking back to the violence of January the 6th, one of the most striking features of the day was the way rioters documented every moment as they breached the capital. In nearly every video, you can see them with their phones, taking selfies, live streaming, sharing on social media, everything as it happened. That footage has subsequently been used by journalists and the security services to track down those involved. But it begs the question, what role does social media play in all of this? Social media platforms already have tools to help them understand what is on the platform and also how to minimize the spread of content that's dangerous. You know, the clearest example of this is ISIS propaganda. Years ago, social media companies were confronted by government, activist firms, etc. about the spread of ISIS terrorism content and propaganda. And they were really effective in curbing it. A lot of these social media sites do the same thing for pornography. They can identify explicit pictures and videos and make sure that they're not appearing in feeds that they're not supposed to be appearing in. I think that, you know, going forward, these companies will have to try to find a balance of like how to use those kind of systems to mitigate some of the more dangerous threats that extremist communities online posed to the general public and to democracy. Twitter has already taken a bold step in permanently banning Donald Trump's tweets. Although some people would view the deplatforming of Donald Trump as something that hardens their own belief system, broadly speaking, it's an incredibly effective tool to disrupt activity online. So deplatforming figures, whether it's the president or neo-Nazis, not only disrupts the individual's ability to spread harmful information, but the community that's built around that influential figure also gets disrupted very severely. Deplatforming Trump was a step, but it's not the solution. Any approach to fighting this kind of disinformation and conspiracy theory has to be holistic and comprehensive. Otherwise, the next time something like an attack on the Capitol happens, 
it could be even worse. A couple of years ago, Jared Holt played a direct role in having the renowned conspiracy theorist Alex Jones removed from major social media platforms. Alex Jones is one of the most prolific conspiracy theorists in the United States. He has spread all kinds of lies and incited all kinds of harassment. A lot of the parents that he targeted and alleged on air were faking their grieving, that they were actors hired by the government to you know, participate in some sort of conspiracy. A lot of them have had to go into hiding, you know, going as far as donning disguises to do media interviews. As more time elapses between Alex Jones being deplatformed and our current state, it's clearer and clearer that deplatforming had an incredibly disruptive effect on Alex Jones. It has lessened his ability to generate profits from his activity, and it has almost entirely subtracted him from the United States national political discourse. You know this world better than most. You've seen the ways there are to combat it. What's your best hope for what can and should happen with QAnon now? You know, my best hope is that all of the people that believe in QAnon suddenly understand that it's not true. The more realistic hope is that the next QAnon is better prepared for. Conspiracy theories have been popular in America for a long, long time. And part of the reason for that is that our government has done things that you could generously describe as sketchy. You know, different covert operations that we've learned about in the years afterward, you know, different experimentations. It was running on its own citizens, that sort of thing. So there's kind of an inherent skepticism of the federal government that motivates a lot of conspiracy theories and the reason they sort of catch on in the United States. Is this a bit like, you know, the moon landings? Will people still be talking about this in 50 years' time? I'm sure they will. I was afraid you'd say that. <laughs> You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Jared Holt, from the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab. The producer today was Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you have a story that you'd like us to cover, any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse! 
Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.